When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Welcome back to Private Parts Unknown. A podcast that explores love and sexuality around the world. I'm Courtney Kosak. And I'm Sophia Alexandra. And it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, you buxom babes. <laughs> brah, brah, brah. <laughs> the titty meat is out and we it's are talking rare. about it. It's about <laughs> to get grilled. Um, listen, how rare it is for me to be here and to be a guest and it feels good. Hey, I think we should do more solo episodes. And this is a great way to get started. Kind of a deep one, but that's okay. I want to do another one with you talking about Girls Gone Wild. Yeah, no, I think we should do them all. All of our traumas. Let's march them all out. <laughs> Love a trauma parade. <laughs> it's Thanksgiving Day, bitches! <laughs> I think most of you that are longtime listeners probably know about this, but Sophia is a breast cancer survivor. And we are so happy to be able to say that. And we haven't done a deep dive on the show about her experience. So we thought since it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, October, we would share her experience. Yeah. And I hope that it actually, because there's so much pinkwashing going on these days. And if you don't know what that is, it's when corporations act like they give a shit about breast cancer, but they really don't. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, most of the time when you buy a product that says a certain amount of money is going to be donated to a breast cancer organization, the fine print is that it's capped at a really small amount. So everything you buy after that, none of that money gets donated. And a lot of places don't even donate any of the money. They just put a pink thing on their can and they take you for a sucker. So instead of that, let's use Breast Cancer Awareness Month to actually be more aware of what mm -hmm. the disease is like and how we can prevent it and what we can do to help people that are going through treatment. So today's episode is me interviewing Sophia, and we're going to talk about all those things and how you can be a supportive friend to someone in your life that has cancer. And we are also going to bring you a couple upcoming interviews, one with Dina Goldberg, who is a genetic counselor that specializes in this, who can shed a little bit more light on breast cancer from that point of view. And we're also going to talk to Dr. Keisha, who's going to talk to us about the disparities in diagnoses and treatment for Black women. 
So, without further ado, let's get into it. All right, so let's start at the very beginning, because your grandma had breast cancer, right? Yeah, she did. My grandma um, had breast cancer back when we were still living in Ukraine, and she had a double mastectomy, and then she moved here with my grandpa two years after we moved to the United States, and some years after it came back and essentially like metastasized, and that is what killed her. And this was like in the 90s? She died on 9-11. Oh, <laughs> double tragedy. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and I was in D.C. and I couldn't fly out for the funeral because obviously all the airports were closed. So it was a weird loss inside a loss kind of. Grieving process, yeah. So I guess based on that experience, did you have any, I don't know, I mean, obviously it's traumatic, but did you have any fear about your own risk or anything like that? When you were younger? Yeah, I just feel like I have a lot of titty meat, you know? And <laughs> there's just a lot of <laughs> a lot of fear. I feel like the more titty meat, more problems. It's another notorious VIG hit that people don't really talk about. <laughs> Though I just want to say for the record, it doesn't take a lot of titty meat. Even men can get breast cancer. Oh, anyone can. Yeah. You don't have to. I'm mostly just joking. But also I do feel like I was so blessed. I was like, it's this gonna become a curse. Yeah. What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> so, did you wind up ever because then the BRCA tests yes. uh, became available? Did you ever consider getting one of those? So, I got the test and I was negative for BRCA1 and 2. And then two months later, I found out I had breast cancer. <laughs> <laughs> You were like, dodge a bullet. Wait a minute. <laughs> I know. I know. So cruel. Um, and that is to say, if you're listening and you're like, that shit was negative for me and I'm feeling good and I am pussy popping at my house or dick popping, whatever you're doing. The point is, is you can still get breast cancer. There's so many different kinds, you know. So once you get the test, you can't stop like self-examining, basically, even after you've been quote unquote, cleared from the BRCA test. Because that's yeah. how you found out, right? You felt yeah. it yourself? Mm -hmm. I was on vacation with my husband in Hawaii. And I was like getting in and out of my bathing suit all the time. So I was like feeling my titties like extra, you know, plus I was also feeling myself in general. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, wait a minute, what's this? And there was something that was like in the upper, I guess if you're picturing my right tit as a clock it'd be like between noon and two so something in there between noon and two and noon and three felt like weird and hard so if the, the center of the clock corner. is your nipple yeah so like just how it felt how how did it feel yeah so the way that i was picturing it in my head was you know how like they'll make food that looks like real food that they put in like windows and stuff it's mm -hmm. like not a real cake and whatever, but it looks real. Okay, this is going to be weird. But <laughs> in my head, it was a tiny little fried quail egg because that is what it felt like. It felt like the center was like thicker and then it had like kind of margins that were thinner around it. Oh, really? And it felt like hard, not hard like 
a table, but hard, like harder than the rest of my titty meat. And what was your instant reaction? My reaction was like, I don't remember this. And then I was like, hey, Max, feel this tit and tell me, do you remember this? And he was like, no, I don't remember this. And I was like, oh, uh oh. And then, of course, they started worrying. And he's like, no, don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Happy Fourth of July or whatever. <laughs> and I was like, I don't think <laughs> I don't think I can relax now. But he was like, no, absolutely. Just like go see your gyno when we get back. And I did. So I, I went and I saw him and he felt my breasts and he said, you know, you just like have dense breasts. And I was like, oh, my God, thank you so much. But <laughs> Can you tell me what's wrong? <laughs> but no, he's like, it, because they're so dense, it's hard to tell the lump if it's different texture or not. So he was saying, uh, normally I would say you're fine. And he printed out this thing that was like a page in a textbook or online or something that was like the probability of me having cancer based on my age as like a woman from North America or whatever. But like, haha, I... You grew up near Chernobyl. (laughs) (laughs) Do they think that that had something to do with it? No one knows anything. So he showed me the little thing, the little, and he was circled it. He's like, your chance of having breast cancer at this age is very low, especially since you were negative for the BRCA. And I was like, okay. And then I was like, but I'm still kind of worried because, you know, my grandma died from breast cancer. And he was like, well, because you're worried, like, let's go further. Let's keep going testing wise. And I was like, okay. So I did a mammogram. And the mammogram was like the most painful thing in the world because they squeeze your titty into like half an inch, one inch patty. It hurt so bad that tears were streaming down my face. Like I wasn't deciding to cry. I was just straight up like, this is fucked up. And then the fun thing is they were like, oh, it's inconclusive. I was like, why did we do this? (laughs) I hate you guys. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, they were like, okay, you know, let's go up to the next test. And then it was an ultrasound. And the ultrasound technician was like, I don't know, like this one area looks a little dodgy, but like, it's probably all good. And I was like, probably all good. Again, my grandma died from breast cancer. And she was like, okay, well, since there's that, why don't we go a step further? And I was like, all right, great. So then the next step was doing an ultrasound guided biopsy. But before they even did that, they like did another ultrasound. And this time it wasn't the same technician. And this technician did not look good in the face when she was doing it. And then she took out. She just looked like concerned. Yeah. Like, she looked like she was taking more time with it in a way that was like, what are you looking at? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So then she took out this little picture and she's like, and it was basically three little ultrasound sample strips pasted on one thing. And she's like, this is what normal breast tissue looks like. This is blah, blah, blah. And like, this is probably cancer. And she's like, yours is looking like this. So it was not great news. And then they did the I ultrasound. I remember right after. I remember we got our nails done like right after you had that appointment. And I was like, I, there was some like glimmer of hope in that appointment. And that's what I clung to. And you were like, hey, bitch, they said it looks like <laughs> cancer. So <laughs> I was like, I don't think they point to the cancer one like 
just for fun. <laughs> I mean, I think they're trying to prepare me. Um, anyway, and so then I went in for the biopsy and the biopsy, the ultrasound guided biopsy was really fucking traumatic because they like essentially pound a drill into your titty and then swirl it to get a sample of the thing. And because my titty's so dense, they're like, oh, the drill didn't go in. Sorry, we're going to have to get another bit. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? So they drilled my tit twice. It was fucked up. You can hear the swirling. It was not good. Did not enjoy zero stars. Would not recommend to a friend. And then they got the biopsy results back. And they called me in and I was like, okay, they're calling me in. (laughs) It's not good news. (laughs) So they were like, yeah, you have cancer. And then that wasn't even the thing that made me all fucked up. Because they were like, you have cancer, comma, don't worry. It's probably like really early stages. So we're going to, you know, do a lumpectomy. And then based on the results of the biopsy, You're not going to have to do chemo. You're just going to have to do radiation and that's not really a big deal and you're going to be fine. And so I felt pretty fucking good about it. I was like, all right, that's fine. Like, I got this. And of course, at this point, I'm not telling anyone other than Max because, you know, it's like a lot. Like, I'm not telling my mom or whatever. But um, well, I knew, but yeah, (laughs) but I mean, I'm not like publicly being like, hey, guys. (laughs) No, and you were very private, like the whole time about it. Or, you know, most of it, we'll get into that, but most of the time about it. Oh, I forgot. So after, between the um, ultrasound and the ultrasound guided biopsy was an MRI. And I was really worried about that because that that was was really traumatic. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about that. Because you have to, yeah. So when you get a breast MRI, you lay on your stomach and your arms are up by your ears completely straight and your breasts go through holes in this table And then you are slid inside the MRI tube and you're in it for like 45 minutes plus. And you're not allowed to take deep breaths because it moves your chest. So if you start to freak out, which I did, because you're in an enclosed space feeling really uncomfortable and your arms are up and you can't like go anywhere, it's just really fucked up. And they have a thing in your hand that's like, squeeze this if you want us to stop it. And Mm -hmm. I was in there for like one minute and I started squeezing it and then they're not pulling me out. And I'm like fucking squeezing it more and more. And then they're like, yeah, we weren't sure what you meant. I'm like, you said squeeze this if you want out. I'm like, what part of that was unclear? I want out. And so I got out of it and they were like, oh, yeah, this happens all the time. Um, I was like, excuse me? They're like, yeah, this happens all the time. People freak out on the MRI machine constantly. You just have to get your doctor to prescribe you an Ativan. I'm like, why would you not tell someone that beforehand? I know. Waste all their time and money on the expensive machine. Weird. It's so fucked up. And then I found out, and here's the stuff like you, that I learned during this. You have to be your own advocate so hard because like no one tells you what's available. I looked online and then I realized, oh, there are MRI machines where you can have music playing while you're in there. The one I was in didn't have that option. And I read online that it can. So I was like, hey, okay, here's my iPod. Can I like hook this up? And they were like, hook this up to what? <laughs> I was like, um, your music playing abilities. They're like, no, get in the tube. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't get to do it? 
So the first time, no, because it wasn't available. And then I researched and made sure and called around to find the kind of MRI that has uh. that, which isn't even that hard to find. It just, they didn't tell me that that was available. They're like, oh yeah, it's the machine next to that one, but it was busy, so we didn't offer it to you. I was like, what? I was like, when would it have been free? They're like, in 20 minutes. I'm like, what is this? Oh my God. So I had to make another appointment and I came um, there. I took a bunch of hits a pot in the parking lot. Like I got blasted to the face. I took an Ativan. Then I went in, I did the MRI. And because I survived that, I was like feeling so good. And that's when I had the biopsy and they were like, you have cancer. I was like, God damn it. (laughs) Hey, just because you're grown up doesn't mean you've outgrown bedtime stories. Whether you want a story to turn you on or wind you down for better sleep, Dipsy helps you get in touch with yourself for some extra sweet dreams. Mmm, I love that ghost dick. (laughs) Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories designed to turn you on. Each Dipsy story features characters that feel like real people and immersive scenarios, so you feel like you're right there. Find stories about an off-limits hookup with your professor, meow, or a costume party that takes things to the next level. Or maybe a story where your partner tells you exactly what to do, or you try a new toy together. Yes, 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 yes. All that sounds amazing. And they release new stories every week, so there's always more to explore. No matter who you're into or what turns you on, there is something for everyone. Yeah, and it's really nice to keep finding new favorites. Plus, Dipsy also has wellness sessions that help you learn more about yourself and bedtime stories and soundscapes to help you relax before you drift off. And for listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com private. That's a 30-day free trial when you go to D-I-P- seastories.com slash private. That's dipsystories.com slash private. Okay, so it was in August when you found the lump. And then, right? Where were we now on the timeline? Okay, so the timeline is kind of crazy because once they found it, they need to do surgery within a month. Basically, they want you to have surgery and chemo within a certain amount of time of each other so that they know that new cancer wasn't like building up in between you having the surgery and um, you starting treatment. So basically, I started chemo right after they took out, essentially within like a month after they took out my lump. And they also took out some um, lymph nodes in my armpit to see if the cancer had spread. And they, that's called a sentinel node biopsy, which sounds like it's from X-Men. And I love that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, sentinel node biopsy that was clear, which is really great. And they took my lump out with clean edges, which was really great. And But when they did the full workup on the lump is when they found out that my tumor actually was positive for one more thing. So it was positive for progesterone, estrogen, and HER2 which is exactly what makes you a good candidate for chemo. And it's called triple positive, right? Yes. That kind of cancer is called triple positive, which sounds great, but is not. (laughs) (laughs) Three thumbs up. Yeah. They're like, oh, that's too many thumbs, huh? (laughs) Um, (laughs) So they basically 
when they told me that, I was devastated because chemo I didn't want to do. And when I found out that, it, you know, treatment was going to take essentially like a year, I was like so upset. I was like, it's going to take me out of my life. And I just had my best career like year. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is just going to take me out of rotation for at least a year. And I was just pretty inconsolable about that part and much more scared of the chemo than I was of just hearing the words, you got cancer. So did you do a lot of research going into it or like the whole time? Were you on the internet trying to inform yourself or were you like, I'm just going to trust the experts? I didn't inform myself until I knew exactly what everything was. Like until they were like, this is the kind of cancer you have. This is the kind of treatment we want you to have, whatever. Then I started doing research. But I know from personal experience, like I've been on psychiatric medication for such a long time. If you look up the side effects beforehand, sometimes it can fuck you up. So normally what I do is I like figure out how I feel first and then I look it up or in this in this case, get the full diagnosis before mm-hmm. I just start going like crazy on WebMD or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. And so the thing that happens really quickly is once you realize that you're going to go through chemo, they're like, hey, if you want to have kids that are your own, you have to deal with the issue of fertility. And I was thinking about it like loosely. I was like 33, but I wasn't thinking about it like I got to jump on this like Mm -hmm. ASAP. And they were like, chemo could potentially damage your eggs permanently. So you need to do an egg retrieval beforehand. And so you have a month between your lumpectomy and your chemo to do an egg retrieval, which means this day I found out that I was triple positive and had to start chemo, I think essentially like that day I had to drive and get the medication to start my fertility shots. The turnaround Mm -hmm. was like wild, so quick. Because normally they would wait for it to line up with your period and stuff. But when it's a case like this, they don't wait. They just like try to get them out of you. And then it's also when you find out that freezing your eggs and freezing your embryos is a different thing. Uh And freezing embryos is a lot more effective because you could freeze eggs and then when you unfreeze them, they get damaged and then, you know, they could be not functional. Whereas with embryos, it's a higher success rate. And you were already in a long-term relationship, so you didn't have to worry about, you know, that. Yes. I didn't have to go and hunt sperm at this point, which would have been another extra thing. Yeah. Luckily, I had Max and you know, we both decided to do the embryo thing and freezing them. And that was the beginning of my fertility thing. Little did I know. I mean, I just thought like, hey, you do this and then you get a baby. Cool. Right. That's a whole other episode. Yes. <laughs> That's just to say that was the first of three retrievals. So uh, my eggs actually did bounce back after chemo. But so far, we have not had a successful pregnancy. On the max note, What was the effect on your relationship? Like, what kinds of conversations were you guys having? Were you having conversations about things like death? I mean, I know you're talking about kids. How did you feel about him supportively? Like, was he, like, right there, ready to make a call for you? Or how did you feel about your partnership at that moment? I think that he took care of me in, like, the best way. And he's really good at, like, practical stuff. He's the one that carried around like that cancer binder that they give you with like all of the information. He's the one that made all the appointments and, you know, filled all the prescriptions and fed me and all of that stuff. So I couldn't have asked for anybody to do that better. And he did it without, you know, being like sad in front of me or anything. So Mm -hmm. that was good. 
But I think one thing that's not his strength is being there for someone emotionally. He's just like not that emotional a person in that way. I mean, I've been joking about him being a robot for like such a long time. (laughs) (laughs) And he was definitely like a cancer robot. He was just like, must get her through this. But like without actually ever touching her, who knows? She seems hurt. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, were you guys having conversation wise at the beginning? Were you having conversations about like, what if or I'm feeling this or whatever? Or No, no. no. And that's what was so insulting. I was like, were you ever afraid I was going to die? I was like, I am like, low key, pretty mad. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how I would have been able to not have that conversation. He's like, you're stage one. It was going to be fine. I was like, Wow. Okay. (laughs) Someone's sure cocky for not being a doctor. (laughs) Yeah, it's pluses and minuses, right? Because it is it is hugely valuable to have someone that's like not being a wreck in front of you and like is, you know, being a rock in that way. But also what an emotional time. Yeah, he just like would go to work every day and stuff, you know, and keep working so that I could have Uh, insurance and a place to live and food. I mean, and we got married pretty shortly before that. And if we weren't, I was on Obamacare and he had that like really good WGA insurance. That's like a PPO. And if I hadn't married him, I would have had Obamacare, which, you know, was great, but wouldn't have covered all of the things that the PPO covered. And um, yeah, I don't know if you think like cancer is cheap if you're listening, but it costs well over a million and a half dollars for me to get treated for that year. And that was covered by insurance. I mean, we paid out of pocket, but not that much. Yeah. And if you're listening and you don't have insurance, because I spent uh, many years in my 20s and even 30s (laughs) being uninsured, I think this experience and like Jesse's cancer experience for me were like two big moments where I was like, oh, okay, maybe I should have you know, even if however healthy I feel, like we should all probably have some like catastrophic insurance just in case. Yeah. And obviously, like it's not people who don't have insurance aren't like, I mean, I considered it. And then I was like, nah, <laughs> <laughs> they can't afford it. So, I mean, this is no, the thing I couldn't that's afford kind of it. Like, that's why I yeah. didn't have it. And that's why it's, it's so like ghoulish to be saying, oh, I'm so lucky that I got cancer at such a fortunate time after marrying my husband, even though I hadn't been interested in marriage forever. And, you know, just because my personal views on that changed is a reason that my cancer isn't going to cost me in a way where it's going to ruin my life and someone else doesn't have that luxury. That really fucks you up. No, for sure. But the Obamacare is way better. I mean, prior to that, the options were like horrendous. Without Obamacare, I wouldn't have been able to like be a comedian or, you know, anybody that didn't make any money and have insurance. Yeah. If you make pleasure a priority in your life, your sexual health should also be top of mind. Knowing your STD status protects you and your partners. And now you can discreetly test at home with EverlyWell. That's right. EverlyWell offers affordable at-home lab tests that give you trusted physician-reviewed results. And you can choose from a bunch of tests, including food sensitivity, metabolism, sleep and stress, thyroid, and so much more. 
But the one we're especially excited for, obviously, since we care about sex, is the SCD test. And the SCD test discreetly allows you to test for seven types of STDs, all from the privacy of your own home. Dude, in my single days, I would have been so, so psyched about the STD test. I actually got the food sensitivity test, but I love this. So here's how it works. Everly Well ships your test straight to your door with everything you need for a super simple sample collection. Then you return the test to a CLIA certified lab with their prepaid shipping label. Then your physician reviewed results and insights are sent to your device in just a few days. I just did it. I just got a food sensitivity test and I am awaiting the results and I can't wait for them to come in. It's no wonder over 1 million people have trusted Everly Well with their at-home lab testing. And of course, privates, you know we're here to hook you up. For listeners of the show, Everly Well is offering a special discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash private. That's everlywell.com slash private for 20% off your at-home lab test. Everlywell.com slash private. Okay, so at this point, you've gotten the diagnosis, you're triple positive, Mm -hmm. and you find out you have to get chemo, so... Mm -hmm. And you're doing, you did the egg retrieval. Did you do radiation? I did. I did it after I finished chemo. Oh, chemo's first? Okay, walk us through chemo, your first chemo. So they kind of have a meeting before you start chemo with like your chemo nurse or whatever, or a nurse, and they walk you through the side effects and stuff, and they kind of go through everything. And the worst things, I feel like, I didn't need to know beforehand, but I get that this is like a one size fits all situation where you give all of the information and whatever. But some of the stuff was so like scary that I was like, I didn't need to know that, especially if it's rare. So one of the things was so the kind of chemo I had was TCH and way worse than THC, you guys. (laughs) Way worse. THC is good. Yeah. (laughs) But TCH sucks, and the T is the really fucked up part, and it's, like, highly toxic. But when you get that infusion, you get neuropathy sometimes, which is when you lose feeling in your fingers and toes. But they normally, what they do is while you're getting your infusion, they put your fingers and toes on ice, like they wrap them in ice packs, So that the chemo, when it goes through your body, it kind of bypasses those areas mostly because it's harder for the blood to move there because they're cold. So that part is fine. But being like, yeah, you might lose complete feeling in your hands and feet. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, but I won't though, right? (laughs) You know, or other stuff. I can't even remember, but the worst case scenarios are like so horrifying. I think I I, I probably blocked them out. But you got a cold cap, right? Because the losing your yes. hair element was one thing too that you didn't want to go through. Yeah. So basically doing a cold cap, um, I did the Digni cap. They are essentially a way to keep a lot of your hair while you're going through chemo. At the simple cost of being frozen for hours and hours and hours, because what it is, it's like it's a machine that comes with two helmets. What they do is they spray 
your hair wet completely, your whole head. Then they put a rubber helmet on top that fastens under your chin. Then they put this other uh, metal helmet with tubes coming out of it that hooks up to a machine. Then they strap that around your chin and the whole thing is insanely heavy. And then it fills up with liquid nitrogen and they freeze your head with liquid nitrogen. So that happens before when I would get in for my chemo would be like, you know, seven in the morning or whatever. And they would get the cap going and stuff. And then I would have to sit with it on until I finished chemo, which would be like at 5 p.m. or something. So I'd be there all day. And um, it was as close to a nightmare as I can truly describe. And I think it would have been a lot better if I didn't do the cold cap because I can't describe the feeling of your head freezing. But like no, that when, you, awful. when you yeah. go to the website, they tell you like a lot of people tap out the first time they do it and then they don't ever do it again. So they're like, just be prepared that some people just don't do it. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever, tapping out people. And then the first time I did it, I almost threw up from how viscerally cold and uncomfortable it is. Like you're not meant to feel that. So your body just reacts in with such shock. And so helpful tip that helped me through all of chemo is Ativan was like my best friend. Mm-hmm. Ativan was so helpful for my nausea, much better than Zofran and the other drug that I can't remember that they gave me. And also it has the bonus of calming you down. Um, so the anxiety of going through something so traumatic is just a lot easier. And it helped me not feel like I was going to throw up and help me be okay with getting the cold cap. And when they would take it off, your hair had snow in it. Like that's how cold it is. And you're just sitting there with your hands and feet and head freezing for hours while poison drips inside your body. And the way you get the infusion is if you have more than like a certain number of chemo sessions, um, they install a chemo port in your arm. So before you start chemo, it's surgery and they make a slit in your upper arm, sometimes in your chest. But because LA has Hollywood, it's <laughs> its treatment is a lot more cosmetically sure. conscious because a lot of actors who had cancer would conceal it so they would still be able to get insured and stuff and, and work. And it's harder to conceal a scar or a port that is in your chest than it right. is in your inner arm. So that's when that started. But if you are listening and you're about to start chemo and you didn't want that chest scar, you can ask for it in your arm. Hot tip. That is a good tip. So I want to unpack the or just the touch on the mm-hmm. cold cap thing a little bit more. So in retrospect, going back, you're like it would have been a lot easier without that. But on the vanity front, you know, it's like a hard time. It's like your body's changing and it's going through a lot. And psychologically, was it kind of nice to have your hair there? I did not regret it. It was incredibly painful. And I think it cost $700 a pop every time I came in for chemo. So it's definitely not fucking cheap, but I am a stand-up comedian and Mm -hmm. I did stand up the entire time I was sick. And it's kind of maybe the only thing I had going that made me feel good. And I really didn't want to be answering questions all the time or addressing Mm -hmm. having cancer without wanting to address it. And I wrote cancer material, but I didn't want it to come from a place where people are like, looking at my bald head and already feeling sorry for me because that happened the second I said I have cancer. 
people mm-hmm. already start feeling sorry for you. And then you have to spend the first couple of minutes of your set, like unpacking that so that they can laugh and like feel comfortable. And then the other thing is like, when you start treatment and all that stuff, you go through like hot flashes and you're incredibly hot all the time. And I knew that I would not be able to wear a wig on stage because it's really fucking hot. So I was like, if I can't do that and I don't want to be bald, like it's kind of my only option. And you still lose hair, but it doesn't look like you do, if that makes sense. It's just really thins out. And then anywhere that it doesn't touch your head exactly the cap, then you lose your hair completely the way you would if you didn't have it. So at one point, I had a little fryer tuck, a little bald spot at the very top of my head (laughs) that fucking no one told me about. I was like, okay, bitches, you know what? (laughs) I would have told you. Just my side part needed to go the other way, and none of y'all told me. (laughs) That's so funny. So on the telling people note, though, because you didn't tell people right away, and then you had a Facebook post where you posted a Tumblr article that you wrote that was basically like FAQs about how to handle cancer as it applies to you. Tell us about that and why you decided to write that. I just found it so exhausting to think of telling everyone in my life over and over and over again that I have cancer, that I was like, I do not want to waste my time doing that. Like chemo is going to be tiring enough. Now Mm -hmm. I have a new job telling people I have cancer. No, (laughs) I don't want that at all. So I was like, it'll just be one fell swoop. Luckily, I'm like a public-ish person. You know, I have podcasts, I perform, whatever. Um, I tweet. So I was like, oh, it'll just be much easier for me to write a thing that has all of the information anyone might ask me. And then I don't have to say 1,000 times in a row. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, I'm going to have chemo and radiation. Yes, it's TCH. It said cedars. Um, no, I'm not losing my b- boobs. Uh, yes, lumpectomy. Yes, egg retrieval. Um, stage one, uh, ductal carcinoma. I mean, just all of those answers over and over again kill me. I mean, not cancer, but just... <laughs> yeah, please don't, but... <laughs> JK, JK on the kill me front. Um But yeah, so I just didn't want to do that. And I just thought it would be easier for me to handle it on my own terms. It's kind of the same with the Digni cap. It's like, I was so angry at losing all control over my life. Because that's what you have to do when you go into treatment. In a certain way, you have to surrender to the treatment. Mm -hmm. Because that's the only way you're going to get better. But on the other hand, it's not sustainable to be angry long-term and it's not sustainable to be divorced from it long-term. So the whole thing is kind of weird and fucked up. So the only little bits of control that you have come out in these weird little ways where you're like, okay, no, I'm keeping 50% of my hair or like, (laughs) no, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that's where I draw the line, you know? So you just kind of exert this weird level of control. So you're like, no, you don't, I don't tell you a thousand times how I have cancer. I wrote a Tumblr. <laughs> <laughs> but you you got a lot of, I mean, I guess open-ended. What was the response? Did you feel supported by the response? Was there annoying things that came out of it? How did it yes. land with you? Most people were really, really nice and supportive. A comedian I know said, because I said in it, please like, you know, if if you're asking me how you can help, it's like, I'm not quite sure yet, because this is new. But you know, maybe like, just 
checking in on me in a way that's like, hey, there's food or something that's not like weird, like that would be cool. And also give me stage time because I'm definitely going to need that as I go through this. And then a comedian we know said, only you would use your cancer announcement to try (laughs) to get spots. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that. (laughs) I was like, okay, so you're not going to be visiting me when I have cancer because you don't have a heart. But yeah, anyway, that I would feel, I mean, and it's honestly not that negative, whatever. It's a comedian. We all fucking joke around with each other like that. Kind of funny, right? Kind of funny. Yeah. Great joke. (laughs) Not mad at all. Um, But yeah, everybody else is pretty nice. I feel like what people need to know about getting a disease that lasts for a hot minute is that that outpouring right away is not going to keep happening. So hold on to that because... That's the beginning. People get really tired of you still having cancer. You know, they're like, what? But I already sent you the let me know if I can do something text. And now your posts it's are bumming It's a year later out. and you're still on your last chemo treatment? What the exactly, hell? Exactly. Exactly. And they're like, you're making me uncomfortable. You're green and bald and you've gained 45 pounds, I think. I don't know. Uh, please don't stand next to me at a party in Los Angeles. <laughs> okay. People were not like that. No, but I did feel like I died. Explain. You drop out of society. People stop checking in on you. People don't invite you to things. People just move on with their lives. And that was one of the most brutal things that you realize. I mean, it's a tough thing to realize, but it's true. I mean, it's a beautiful thing about the way that people are built. That's like we get over things. But it's also really a hurtful reality when you realize, oh, yeah, everyone's still having a great life or whatever kind of life they were having without me. And like... Literally, like, I'm still here, but it feels like I'm dead. You know, I once you're not performing or seeing people or being an active friend for them, generally, they just fade out of your life. And then you realize, I used to always say, like, oh, you know, my friends are my family. And then after this, I was like, oh, no, my family's <laughs> my family. <laughs> And also not even all of my family, like my family wasn't even there for me except for, you know, like my mom and whatever. And also I didn't tell my grandpa because he has heart problems and he was too old and it killed his wife and I'm his favorite. So I didn't tell him that I had cancer. Uh So I just hid it from him the entire time and still would see him when I could. Because the way that chemo, my chemo was, it was every three, uh, three weeks. I think it was ish. Something like that three or maybe five, every five weeks, maybe six weeks, who knows, whatever, every certain amount of time. But what it is, is like immediately after you feel amazing because you have steroids that they give you. So you're all roided up and you're like, I could take down an army. I don't have cancer at all. And then once the steroids wear off a couple days later, then you feel like shit. And the longer away it is from your chemo session, the better you start to feel, and then you get your next treatment. And then cumulatively, you start feeling worse. Mm -hmm. So towards the very end of your like chemo sessions, like towards the end of my year or whatever with it, I was so much more tired and in worse shape than I was when I started. 
So that's kind of how it goes. And you have a lot less energy for anything or, yeah, it's just at that point, it's just waiting it out. How many sessions did you have total? Do you remember? I think I had six or eight. It's in my Oh, then it must have been like five weeks, every five weeks or something. Yeah, I think that's what it was. Um, And then I had other sessions that were still chemo, but just Herceptin, not THC. So altogether, the chemo was a year, but I think it was eight months of the really fucked up kind. And Uh then Herceptin, where I did that and still live my life. I would like come in, be there for an hour and then, you know, go back and live my life. Cokes, be honest. Have you been avoiding going to the doctor this past pandemic year? I'm not trying to get corona, bitch. (laughs) That is the correct answer to a trick question. And can we be honest about how annoying it is to make an appointment and then go see a doctor just to get birth control or erectile dysfunction meds? Who wants to do that? Nobody. I'm staying at home in my sweatpants. Exactly. Which is why... Eve Adam is the service for you because Eve Adam lets you meet with a doctor and get medication right from your couch. That's right. You can skip the phone calls, parking lots, waiting rooms, and pharmacy lines and just meet with a doctor on Eve Adam. Order your medication through your device and get refills delivered to your door on a schedule you set. Amazing. And in case you're worried, Eve Adam works with licensed doctors and an NABP accredited digital pharmacy. So you guys are in safe hands. And if you have any questions along the way, you can easily chat with a licensed physician through the chat feature in your account. Eve Adam offers brand names, affordable generics, and everything in between. They also offer birth control in a variety of forms, from pills to patches and rings. Eve Adam has all the resources you need to get the ideal medication for you. I love all the birth control choices. That is so nice. And you know what else is nice? Right now, Eve Adam is offering our listeners, you privates, 10% off when you go to eveadam.com slash private and enter code private at checkout. That's 10% off when you go to eveadam.com slash private and enter code private at checkout. Did anybody ever tell you, I feel like this is like relatively new, but fasting, intermittent fasting right before your chemo, did anybody ever tell you to do that or did you ever experiment with that? Yeah, because I was going to starve before going in to get poisoned. No, it's counterintuitive, but um, that is a... Thing I've read about. I'm just curious. Dude, no. No. <laughs> okay. I'll I'm not just... going to like use my cancer as like a chance to experiment with like anorexia. That's not really my jam. <laughs> okay. It's a legitimate I'm like, could I have thing? two diseases also? That'd be great. <laughs> I do remember you were very like not woo woo about it at all. You were like, I'm going to do the fucking science of it. I don't want to hear about the weird shit that you think you, your cousin told you about cancer one time. Like, I'm just going to keep it to the pros. Okay. <laughs> that was actually the most offensive stuff that I heard to answer your earlier question is when people were giving me answers that I never asked for (laughs) about my condition and they were not doctors so people would be like oh you gotta try try this reiki or this bean juice and they would like post videos on my facebook wall and it was just so fucking offensive the most offensive is when people actually would say don't do chemo it's poison don't do it and i was like oh okay so 
if I die, are you going to take care of my mom? <laughs> no? Where are you going? Because you're out here just deciding on my life. So maybe you want to take care of my mom? What was your mom's? I mean, I'm sure she was. She an fell child. apart. Yeah. She came to my first chemo and she was such a wreck that I forbade her from coming to any of the others and she never did. She was suffering more than me and I was getting chemo. <laughs> I was like, bitch, how are you doing this? <laughs> like what? She's like writhing in a chair and like just like. I would have totally done she that was too. Keening. I was never invited. I was like, don't keen. I am in the room. This is so fucked up. <laughs> like you can sit here if you don't keen. Jesus. <laughs> Just like very deep guttural moans. I'm like, are you joking me? <laughs> Did it bring you closer in any way? Um, in that I never know never <laughs> to be weak in front of her again. <laughs> yeah. I actually was so much of a chicken that I had Max tell her that I had cancer. Really? Yeah. I was like, you do it. I can't. I was like, she's going to lose her shit. So I was just in the next room listening. It was a lot. You weren't even in the room? No, I couldn't do it. I was like, you tell her. I was like, but you have to tell her immediately that there's a plan. And that, like, I'm going to be fine. And if you don't lead with that, like, it's gonna not going to go well. <laughs> like, you got to lead with the plan and that it's going to be fine. And that it's stage one. And, like, just lead with that. Because the first thing she's going to do is flip out. And so he he did his best. And I think it was the right choice to have him tell her. Did she flip out? Yeah. She's like, literally, this is all I have. <laughs> <laughs> I moved you from fucking Russia to here and you're going to die on me. She's like, nope. Oh, Claudia. Okay, so what made you, during this horrible year of chemo, what did make you feel better? The people that love you love you and are in your life. You know, like the people that were really important to me for the most part, I didn't lose. And I also feel like the friendships that I let go of after this were ones that I needed to let go of. So I in no longer, I in no way feel sad about that it had to happen. You know what I mean? You had to call the herd a little. Yeah, there was this profound period of like grieving after as I was coming to terms with everything and this period of anger of, you know, some of it was unjust, like I said, about just the world moving on. And some of it was just about some of the relationships that I had thinking they were something else. Mm -hmm. And some of it wasn't even that I was mad at anybody. It's not that I ended those friendships because I was like, oh, I don't like like you as a person or... I'm mad at you and this is like punitive. It was more that I just had clarity on who and what I wanted to spend my time doing. And in that way, it was pretty easy to let go of those people, even though at first I really missed them. But I realized what I'd really missed was like the idea of the friendship that we had with them, not the actual friendship that we had. And the thing that made me feel better about everything, and I say this like every time I talk about cancer, which is that like this cancer counselor, a counselor. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> she said, you know, I was like, I just feel just like devastated and kind of like my whole life's destroyed 
and shattered and I don't really like know how to move on. And she said to me, you know, you're not ever going to be the person that you were before this happened. But hopefully the person you're going to become, you're going to like even more. And that was really, really helpful. And that is something that whenever I felt really fucked up and like, you know, I got suicidal at a certain point too, that really kind of brought me back to center because I don't think I'd like experienced such a profound like death of self in a certain way since, you know, when you have your big transition in like college or something and you really find yourself. But it's exciting because there's a lot more fucking and drugs. <laughs> 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 do you like yourself more now? I do. That's a good I silver lining. I feel my capacity for kindness and giving and who I am in that way is a lot more balanced. And I like myself a lot more. And I think cancer kind of burned a lot of the anger out of me. I don't argue the same way. I just don't get mad the same way. I don't fly off the handle in the same way. It's almost like it burned out my receptors going through like the depth of like despair and anger like that and just wanting like very angrily to die or to do something really fucked up to yourself. I feel like experiencing that on such a high level while your body is also failing you like falling apart and you don't recognize it at all and you just look at yourself and all of you is disgusting to you. I feel like that kind of feeling is something that is worth it to have if the feeling that I have now is what you get instead. Mm -hmm. And of course, the part of me that was the ugly part wasn't like that I blew up from chemo or lost my hair or whatever. It was the part of myself that I didn't like that much. And I was happy to let it die, you know, with the fucking cancer cells. So I do feel blessed for having had it. I always think about it as like, I'm the luckiest unlucky person in the world. Aww. Not just because I survived and was so lucky with like treatment and money for that and et cetera, but just because I do feel like it gave me a different sense of what I want and priorities too, because I wasn't even sure I wanted to have kids. And then as soon as this happened, I was like, oh, I for sure know this now. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's beautiful. So, you know, you said you kept a lot of the relationships that you wanted to keep, but I know from being one of those people <laughs> that <laughs> it's hard to know exactly how to support someone. And I know everyone's different. So this is like your version of the advice. But what would you tell people about how to be a better uh, supporter to someone who has cancer in their life who they care about? So I feel like this is probably advice that's applicable to anyone that is a support system for anyone that's going through anything long term. I mean, there's people that have are immunocompromised. There's people that have other things going on that disabilities, things that are always going to be an issue for them. And I think a lot of times that attitude of like being tired of dealing with a thing that you have as like a bystander of it, like imagine how tired they are of having the thing. And so I feel like if 
you need, say, a little phone reminder in your phone to check in on your friend every Friday or Monday at this time or whatever. Do that. That's a good tip. And the other thing is, and I'm guilty of this too, so I feel like as I'm giving this advice, I want people to know I'm not coming to it from a place of I'm better than this. We're all guilty of this. But I think saying, let me know if you need anything is just generally not that helpful unless you have such a familiarity with the person and still it's not that helpful because like me and you are best friends, but like, yeah, I'm not going to text you and be like, hey, uh, you know, I need this because it's just a struggle being alive. So I feel like it's better to offer something when you reach out and that way the person has something to bounce back off of you, but you brought the ball to the court because I feel like saying, let me know if you need anything is you're like, hey, I'd love to play tennis. Can you bring the rackets and the ball and meet me at six in the morning? And I'm like, no. I think people keep it generic because they literally don't have, you know, they don't know. But you're right. That's not very helpful. Because like, no, I'm not saying again, I do it too. I'm not saying that it's something that people are doing to be shitty. I'm just saying that the reason it's not helpful is because you're asking someone who is in need to do work right now that they can't do. If like that spoons analogy that you've heard of like, oh, you know, it takes one spoon to get dressed, one spoon to make yourself food, you know, one spoon to make yourself go to work. Like, and sometimes you're just out of spoons for this other stuff. It's like that person has fewer spoons right now. So don't, I don't understand the spoon spoon analogy. No. Oh, the spoon analogy. Spoons to go to work. Why do you need spoons to go to work? No, the spoon analogy is, do you really want me to look it up for you? Because no, I'll look it up on my own time. Nobody, no, it's no. pretty helpful. Hold on. <laughs> spoon analogy. Okay. It's the spoon theory. Spoon theory is a metaphor that is used to describe the amount of mental or physical energy a person has available for daily activities and tasks. The theory was developed by Christine Misarandino as a way to express how it felt to have lupus. What mm. does the spoon represent? Spoons are... <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to go all the way, but... Um, no, but explain it in a way that I can understand. What do the spoons mean? They mean basically that if you have... Hold on. It's almost like the theory is not that effective. <laughs> no, it, it's A little more good. of an illustrative Here, example. Um, I just can't explain to you why it's spoons. It just is spoons. It just, a okay, unit of so energy, the spoons part of it is, is random. Spoons. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But basically... So the spoon theory thing is like if a person with no disabilities, no disease, whatever, uh, wakes up with 12 spoons per day and they could use them to say, get up one spoon, get dressed one spoon, take medication one spoon, drive to work three spoons, work four spoons, which would be 10 spoons. Then they have two remaining spoons, which would not be enough to cook a meal, three spoons, visit the doctor, four spoons socialize three spoons or do light housework three spoons but they would have just enough energy to watch tv one spoon or read two spoons so the point is if a healthy person's day off work is 19 spoons then a person who's unhealthy would have much fewer spoons the point is i'm gonna say spoons a thousand times (laughs) so basically your capacity is diminished but you're asking someone to do extra work and you know there's not the bandwidth for that yeah they just don't have that capacity And you're wasting some of it by reaching out to ask them. So I feel like I said, like, a better starting point is to offer something. So 
if you reach out and you're like, hey, um, I was thinking I'd come by this week and drop off some food. Mm-hmm. Um, How about, about dinner on Lasa- Thursday? Yeah. What about lasagna on Thursday night? Mm-hmm. And then the person can be like, no, actually, lasagna is making me sick because of throwing up, but I am eating pie. Or, you know, Thursday is not good, but Friday would be good. And that way you're opening the door to a conversation where they can also let you into their life a little bit. And they can be like, the reason Thursday doesn't work is that's when my next chemo is, or that's when I'm seeing my doctor for this. And then that way you could respond something to that. Because a lot of the conversations when you have cancer end up just being like, I'm so sorry. Or when is your Mm -hmm. next chemo? Oh, are you done soon? Sorry. Like, Mm -hmm. and, you know, we're still living. I'd love to talk about some other stuff. And planning activities where the person doesn't have to exert a lot of effort Mm. is really helpful. So um, when you like picked me up and took me to get my nails done, like I love that. That Mm -hmm. really made me feel taken care of. And there's just things like that that you can do to make the other person feel good. Like invite them to a park where all their friends already are. So they don't have to do any planning. They don't have to worry about anything. Stuff's already arranged. You just have to ask them if a certain day is okay. What are other good – because I remember like Yasser brought you a bunch of Gatorade and like that was a good move, you know. What were the most helpful things that you got that like made you feel good or were just practically good? One of the things that was really cool that happened when I did a set about having cancer is Nikki Black, who is a comedian in L.A., um, talked to me like when I went outside to gather myself after. She came up to me and talked to me about her having had breast cancer in her 20s. And she put together a care package that she then came over and dropped off at my house. We weren't even like friends. We had just met. And that was one of the kindest things that anybody's done for me. And it meant a lot. It means a lot more than anything. And I've tried to do that when I can, pass on advice and a goodie bag to people that have it. And... One of the things that was in the bag was a blanket, which I really appreciated because when you have your fingers and toes wrapped in ice and your head is freezing, it's really nice to have a blanket. Mm -hmm. There's also anti-nausea stuff like ginger chews and ginger tea that's really helpful depending on, you know, what works for you. But like I said, Ativan for me worked better than anything, but it's still helpful. And if you have a chemo port in your arm, it's always really annoying when you're trying to have your hoodie on and you're having your infusion. So a really good thing to do would be to get for yourself if you're going through treatment or someone who has a zip-up hoodie or a bunch of them that you can cut little squares out of that are right where the chemo port is on the arm. So when you get there, they can just plug in without you having to take your arm out of your sweater and you're just comfortable So that's a tip I would recommend. Also, silk pillowcases because they help your hair not fall out as much. You don't want to get wrinkles when you have cancer. And it's also helpful (laughs) for your face. (laughs) But they recommend like silk bonnets and silk hair things too. But I would get so hot that I would – I preferred a silk pillowcase instead. But it's helpful to do either. And gabapentin is your friend for hot flashes. What is that? Gabapentin is like a a medication and you can 
take a very high quantity of it without it really, like you can keep upping it until your hot flashes go away. So nice. Okay. Anything else for people that are, might be going through any sort of cancer experience, especially breast cancer right now? Yeah, I think community and making sure that person's still part of a community is really helpful. So however it is, however you include them, just make them feel included. I think anything from group chats to like actual in-person things, I think that's really helpful. Getting care packages from friends who were from all over the country that my one friend coordinated was really, really sweet. And tiny, beautiful things, the Cheryl Strayed collection. Yes. Highly recommend. Courtney um, turned me on to it. I think it's really great to read during that time. Also, there's a book by Porachista Kapoor named Sick that I really enjoyed. Oh, I've heard of that. It's really good. Anything else that I didn't ask you? My last tip is, so when you have radiation, they put a tiny dot tattoo in between your boobs to try to center the machine and stuff. And little known fact, they do not have to tattoo your ass because <laughs> I asked and I was like, um, I don't really want that. And they were like, well, <laughs> then we would just have to draw it on you with a Sharpie every time you come in. And I'm like, and how long would that take? And they're like, an extra 10 minutes. <laughs> so don't let someone to fucking make you bitch out and get a tattoo for someone's extra 10 minutes. No. That's so funny. Your body already gets changed by people and you're going to get so many little scars and things from this that if you don't want to have the little tattoo and that's the little control you have, tell them no. Redraw that dot. It'll be fine. I love that advice to like ask questions and advocate for yourself because I feel like anytime in the medical system, it's just so easy to be like, okay, yeah, whatever you say. <laughs> and there's a lot of stupid shit you can avoid by... Asking questions. Yeah. Same with, you know, I'm in early menopause now because I'm supposed to be for the next 10 years. I have to block my progesterone and estrogen from being made so that I don't get cancer again. But one of the things is I get a Lupron shot. And when I first started getting them, I was coming in every month and I was so uncomfortable. In addition to the fact that the driving was annoying, I was just more uncomfortable because I was like hot all the time from the shots. Then I found out you can get the shot every three months, like a quantity that's higher and just come in every three months. And my body tolerated that way better. But that's not what they offer you first. <laughs> They're like, no, can you come here 12 times instead of four? It's Ruin just a whole year. Yeah. So just make sure you ask questions you didn't even think you could ask. Like, do I have to do this? What are the other options? Is this medication only administered at this dosage, et cetera? Because if I didn't ask about any of these things, I would not have known. And for example, don't get a regular mammogram if you know you have dense breasts because it's just going to be inconclusive and they're going to make you do some other shit. If they have the 3D mammogram, do that or go to a really experienced ultrasound technician or do that MRI thing, but that's a bitch. That's all. So- when did you go into remission? As soon as I completed treatment, I was considered to be cancer-free. But you don't they don't really ever like say, congratulations, you're they in remission. They don't like give you a present or anything. No, no, um, no. They gave many, you a 
a cancer Barbie, though, at the hospital when I got <laughs> done. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. They're like, look, she comes with a free schmata for her bald head. I was like, I think this is in poor taste. <laughs> <laughs> this is offensive. Yeah. How long, though, have you been in remission? It's like almost five years, right? Yeah, I think so. I think it's like f- over four. Yeah. Well, congratulations. I'm so happy you're here. Thanks for being my friend. Thanks for being my friend. (laughs) So, hey, privates. Since October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, I want you to be aware of taking care of your own health Make sure you're doing enough checking of your body to notice if something changes about it. Get anything you find that's different feeling to you checked out immediately because the earlier you get diagnosed, the earlier you can get treatment. And most people now who get diagnosed with breast cancer go on to live long and happy and healthy lives. So the earlier you can get it taken care of, the quicker you can go back to your regular life. Boop, boop. All right, private, stay tuned for Belize. (laughs) You liar. (laughs) I am. (laughs) Hey, Sophia, what's that bomb-ass music? This music is by our friend Amy Rosh. You can find her on Spotify. Her last name spelled R-A-A-S-C-H. This episode was mixed by Mike Castaneda from Plastic Audio. We love love you, Michael. Pretty normal. I don't know what happened to us. Are they okay? (laughs) We are worried. We are worried. Please don't, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) And now it's time for (laughs) the review of the week. And privates, we do not have a new rating and review to read you, which I'm very upset. This is the breast cancer episode, and Sophia can't even read a freaking review. Look at this, motherfuckers. Who is embarrassing me on Breast Cancer Day? No new review? Okay, well, if you feel terrible now because you've hurt a brave survivor, you can remedy that right now by going to ratethispodcast.com slash private. Hey, I would review us on two platforms, one for each titty. So you go to ratethispodcast.com slash private. Two ratings and reviews. That's the only way Sophia is going to feel better. So, And one of them needs to be much longer than the other, like my titties. <laughs> Honestly, we'll take same size symmetrical reviews. <laughs> you can recycle the review. It's unrealistic. It's unrealistic, Courtney. They don't exist. <laughs> We don't need beauty standards for reviews. (laughs) All right, privates, get yourself checked, and we will check you next time. Bye. Bye.